Welcome to episode 51 of the Marketing Junkie Podcast, copywriting mistakes you are probably making and how to fix them. I am your host, Michelle Caruana, and my guest today is Lauren Tilden, and I absolutely love this conversation because copywriting is one of the most underestimated aspects of a business, and I have worked with so many business owners who really don't even give their copywriting a second thought. So Lauren is going to walk through what exactly copywriting is, what it consists of, what her process is like, how she learned how to be an expert copywriter, and she's going to give us some really quick fixes that we can make on our websites, in our email marketing, on our social media posts to easily convert customers or rather followers into customers with just our words. So to give you more info on Lauren, Lauren is the artist behind the plant-inspired stationery line, Good Sheila, and the owner of Station 7 Retail Shop in Seattle. So we have that in common. We were both brick-and-mortar business owners, and we actually also both went to school for economics. So that's a little fun fact, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. So Lauren had a 10-year career in marketing and worked as a marketing director before making a total U-turn and jumping into the creative small business world. Lauren believes that small business can change the world, and she hosts Making Good, the podcast for people who want a business that feels good and does good. So I'm going to link to that one in the show notes. Definitely check it out. I absolutely love that podcast. Lauren loves to travel and listen to podcasts, bake, and create. She lives in Seattle by the water with her partner and loyal but fusty canine companion, Puff. She is an Enneagram 3 like me, so another thing we have in common. Lauren and I are basically soul sisters, so I'm really excited to dig into this interview. You are going to walk away with some quick, actionable items that you can change right away to start seeing better results with your copywriting. If you like the show and this content, don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. I appreciate it so, so much, and I'm still going to continue giving reader shout-outs on the show or listener shout-outs on the show every single week. All right, without further ado, let's get into my interview with Lauren and talk all things copywriting. You're listening to the Marketing Junkie Podcast with me, your host, Michelle Caruana. I'm a corporate marketing nine-to-fiver turned brick-and-mortar business owner turned online entrepreneur, and growing businesses through smart and efficient marketing is kind of my thing. If you're like most business owners, you probably feel like you could overdose on all the different tactics out there, so I created this podcast to help you cut through the noise and the clutter and just get the clear, actionable strategies based on what's working and what's not for both myself and my marketing clients. Tune in every week to learn exactly how to attract an audience and convert them into customers and raving fans, no fluff included. Hey, Lauren, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right, so let's get started by introducing yourself and let everybody know just kind of who you are and who you serve. Sure. So my name is Lauren. Um, I am an ex-corporate marketer turned small business owner. I worked in corporate America for small businesses in corporate America for about 10 years. And then in 2017, left to start my own stationary business. So Good Sheila is my sort of plant-inspired stationary business. Um, And with that, I focus mostly on selling wholesale to brick-and-mortar stores 
um, starting actually with my mom's store, which I now own. So as of this past fall, right before COVID hit, I am now an owner of a brick and mortar store. Um, so I thank you. Yeah, it was a really great time <laughs> to, to buy a brick and mortar business, but we've, we've survived. So. Um, so I have those two businesses. And then as of May, I have a podcast called Making Good, which is about helping small businesses start strong businesses that make a positive impact on the world. Right. And if anyone would like to check that out, it is linked in the show notes. So please do. I had Thanks. a chance to yeah. do a bunch of episodes and it was definitely good. And it's definitely added to my weekly listen list. Yay. Thank you. So glad. <laughs> yeah. So what do you talk about on the podcast? What do you kind of focus on now with that? Yeah. So the podcast is kind of a marriage between my love for small business and all things kind of business and my love for marketing, which is what my whole professional background is in. So I talk a lot about marketing strategies for building strong, sustainable small businesses. Um, And then I also talk about exploring different ways that we can use our small businesses to make a positive impact on the world. So whether that's, you know, directly donating to charities or, um, you know, speaking up and advocating for what you believe in, um, you know, being environmentally responsible with your business practices. There are just so many ways that small businesses can really change the world. And I just have a lot of fun exploring that with with solo episodes and with guests on my podcast. Awesome. And I will be having Michelle on my podcast. Yes. Too, so I will so. be sure to share that when it comes out. <laughs> but today you have so many areas of expertise, but today we're going to kind of hone in and we're going to talk about copywriting. Mm-hmm. Copywriting is something that I struggle with still. I, I love it. I love to hate it sometimes, but that's what we're <laughs> going to talk about today. And I, I hope that everyone will really walk away with some really great strategies. So just to kind of get started, what do you define as business copywriting? So for me, I think probably the technical definition of copywriting is about writing things for sales. Um, but when I think about copywriting and certainly even in my like corporate experience, copy was really just anything that we wrote for our business, maybe with the exception of like blog posts. So content that was really based on educating, um, everything else. So everything on your website, everything on social media, everything in your email marketing, um, you know, I think these days most copywriting is digital, but certainly like in, in brick and mortars, if you have signage or you have, um, you know, a menu at a restaurant, like there are just anytime you're writing about your business, to me, that's copy. Awesome. Yeah. That's a perfect definition. I just feel like so many people kind of miss that definition. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times people think copywriting is, they think of like Don Draper, Mm-hmm. And they think of Mad Men and they think of like copywriting as just like one liners or like a tagline or, you know, something like that. So I like to give the broader definition that it's really any words that you use in your business to, you know, eventually get. 100%. That's yeah, a so, good point. So thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> that's a huge misconception that I hear all the time. Mm-hmm. So let's just kind of dive right in. So what are some mistakes that you constantly see people make when writing copy in their business? Oh man, um, there are a lot. <laughs> and the good news is that they're all, so to me, great copy is very human. It sounds like a human wrote it. 
Um, it sounds like something you would say in clear terms to your friend or um, even a stranger. But a lot of times when you see business copy, it's not clear. It doesn't sound like it was written by a human. It sounds very like corporate robotic. Um, and there's, I think there's a tendency to, um, you know, I think we try to impress people when we're writing our marketing. So we're like, we think that long sentences and long paragraphs, like we're really helping us explain all the value that we're offering or that using kind of fancier words, big words are, um, stronger and more impressive than like the, maybe the clear, more simple way to say something. Um, I think a lot of times we run into as business owners, the issue of jargon, which is something that if you work in your industry, you know a lot about, but if you're a customer buying the service from you or the product from you, you may not know, you know, abbreviations or, you know, if I was an accountant, like different bookkeeping terms, I would just do your best to avoid anything that's jargony, it's, it's industry specific. We really want to speak in as plain language as we possibly can um, and make it as easy to understand what we're saying as possible, which I think is kind of counterintuitive to make it really easy and simple. People think, why would I want to dumb it down? But I think if you think about the taglines of brands that have really strong, memorable, like if you listen to a commercial, like even trying to think of like Nike, just do it. They're not saying just go push yourself very hard and achieve athletic feats. They're saying, just do it. That's as simple as it possibly gets. So um, I guess all of these things I'm mentioning right now really come down to keeping it as simple as possible. Don't think that you have to make something fancy or long or use big words. Like those things actually hurt your copy. They don't help at all. And it's, it's funny, you and I both come from a corporate background and I know we actually both studied economics, which is something that I learned <laughs> recently, but I feel like when I work with business owners who come from corporate America or who, you know, uh, studied in college, it's, they, we actually struggle more than the average person when writing copy, because we're so trained to write these essays and these, you know, big, long documents. And I 100%. love the example that you gave. If you want to even give your thesis example, I listened to your <laughs> podcast and I loved that. Um, so what was the title of your thesis? You yeah. Know? So like Michelle said, we both studied economics in college and economics is very academic. Um, so I wrote my senior honors thesis about, well, I won't tell you what it's about. I'll tell you the title, which was the impact of bank conglomeration on credit market outcomes for women-owned businesses. Right. And I love how on the podcast you said, you know, can anyone tell me, you know, can anyone summarize? Yeah. And it's, I was, I went to school for economics and even I was like, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You really have to like break down each word. And um, so what the thesis was about is when banks like acquire one another and merge, is it easier or harder for women who have businesses to get loans? Um, but if you think about that, when we're marketing, like we don't want people to be working hard to understand what we're saying, because a, they don't really need to, they have no reason to try to understand what we're saying if we're making it really difficult and B, it just makes it harder to, you know, reach people and, and sell whatever we're trying to sell. So, um, I definitely, I totally agree with you. I came from both like college and corporate America, 
when I got my first marketing job, I was still kind of using this sort of academic way of just kind of overcomplicating things and using impressive words and, you know, thinking I was really smart, but um, the, the, you know, I've got like 10 or however many years of copywriting experience. Now I, I write copy every single day and my best copy, I know it's good when it's so, so simple that anyone like us, a, a six-year-old could understand it. Yeah. And I love how you said previously that a lot of times we try to like impress our customers and we try to make it seem like, you know, we use these big impressive words, but it actually just goes right over their head. Cause I mean, a lot of times as small business owners, I'm sure you've experienced this, we kind of are, um, we're a little, I don't want to say like egotistical, but we forget that we are competing for a very tiny, you know, fragment of someone's attention span. A lot of times, you know, like I would, I would send out an email and I'd be like, wow, this is a great email. And I forget mm-hmm. that people are not, first of all, they're not sitting home waiting for my emails. Mm-hmm. Uh, second of all, they're, I'm competing with so many different things. So if I make it, like you said, too hard to understand something, if I don't have like a super simple offer, super simple subject line, super simple message. People are going to be like, well, that takes too much work. I'm going to go, you know, um, choose one of these other competing pieces. So I think a lot of people forget that too, that, you know, people mm-hmm. are, compete, they have such, so many, you know, things coming at them all the time that the simplicity is really just what people are looking for. Yeah. And I think just on that same note of, you know, people are bombarded with marketing and messaging and advertising all day long, every day. And one way that you can really set yourself apart is to focus on what value you're offering them and really write your copy around that. So instead of saying, you're invited to my webinar about, you know, how I became a really good copywriter, I might say, do you want to learn how to write subject emails that stop people in their tracks and make them put their coffee down and um, immediately open the email? then, you know, I have something for you, check out this training. So really centering what we're saying around what we can offer our audience and how it relates to them, how it can make their life better. That is a lot more effective than centering it around, oh, check out my new product um, or check out this piece of advertising that I have to offer you. That's just, that's not that interesting to them unless we can show how it will make their life easier, better, yeah, so we'll you know. keeping that transformation mm-hmm. that whatever you're giving them can offer. Totally. So a lot of small business owners that listen to this podcast, a lot of times they'll come to me and they'll think they don't have any copy because they really just have like a website with a homepage and, you know, they're sitting down and they're like, okay, yes, I want to talk to my, uh, my potential customers like humans and I'm, you know, I'm ready, but they're kind of just sitting in front of that blank computer screen, you know, ready to write an email or ready to write, you know, a uh, a sales page or something, what advice can you give to someone who is kind of just starting out with copywriting for their own business? Yeah. Um, I think maybe one place to start is what do you do when you're sitting in front of a blank document? You know, you're watching the cursor blinking in front of you and it kind of takes us all back to high school or college when we're, you know, it's 10 PM the night before we have an essay due and we haven't started and we just need to get like 2,400 or 10,000 words or whatever it is. Um, I remember what I would always do in high school is I would start by writing my heading. So I'd be like, Lauren Tilden, world history, period two, September, whatever, 2004. Um, And even just that act of 
writing something on the paper that just kind of gets you going the hardest part of anything, but particularly creating something. So writing or art or um, making is always the first step of starting. So what I do to help myself get started is I ask myself three questions in this piece of copy. So is it an email? Is it a website, a page on your website? Is Let's it just say it's a, an email just for like, okay, let's say it's an email. Um, so I'd usually I draft my emails in Google docs just to keep it distraction free. I don't need to do it straight in the email tool. I like to just have the blank screen and I'll write down what I write down three things. No. So K N O W no feel do. What do I want my audience to know after they read this email? What do I want them to feel after they read this email? And what do I want them to do? Um, so know what I want my audience to know. This is really about the practical details of what you're communicating. So if I am running an email about a sale, it would be, what is the sale on? What is the discount code? When does the sale end? What items does the sale apply to? Like really the important details that your audience needs to know as a result of reading the email. Then what do I want my audience to feel? So I think a lot of times we overlook the fact that the way we write creates feeling, the way that we phrase things, the punctuation we use, the words we choose, these create feeling in the person reading them. Um, I like to use the example of if you got a puppy, would you text your friend, hi, I just purchased a puppy? No, you would probably say, oh my gosh, I just got a puppy and there's photos and emojis and a lot of excitement. So we're really communicating the same thing in that in both versions of that message. It's just the way we say it creates a feeling. Um, so the second thing I always ask myself is how do I want my audience to feel as a result of reading this? And, um, you know, that's really important for the way that we tailor our messaging. So if I'm writing about some like heavy current events, I'm going to write much differently than if I'm writing about, um, a really funny new book that we just got in stock, let's say. Um, and then what do I want my audience to do? So in marketing, I'm sure a lot of your listeners know this. I know you do. There's something called a call to action, which is that we want people to read what we've written and do something pretty much every time. And the best calls to actions are just one thing. So when you read this email, I want you to click on the link to the section of my website that has all the items that are for sale or book a consultation with me or um, download my PDF that will put you on my email list, whatever it is. We want to make it really clear what we're asking people to do and make it easy for them to do that. We don't want to distract them with like, do this and this and this and this. Like we want it to be very targeted and have a one clear thing that we're asking people to take action on. Um, and I just really quickly, a lot of times I'll, I'll see small business owners, especially like local businesses specifically, they'll put out like one monthly newsletter with like 100 calls to action because they have this belief that they don't want to email their audience too much, but mm -hmm. again, you know, nobody's taking action on that. So I love how you said that each email should really have one call to action, whether it be, you know, replying or something small. A lot of people think mm -hmm. There's this big misconception, at least I know with my listeners, a lot of people think a call to action has to be like a purchase. 
but it can be, yeah. you know, anything like read this blog article, watch this YouTube video. You know, I, someone said to me once, you know, a call to action could even be just like, I want my audience to smile after they read this. Like, so yeah. that they want to open my next email. Right. So, but, you know, just having that really clear focus. I know that when I, I used to do the monthly newsletter thing. I used to own a brick and mortar indoor playground. And when I first started, I would do like the, here's the weekly roundup. And I would have like, here's our events. Here's our birthday parties. Here's, you know, all this stuff. And I was like, why are people just not so excited to get this? <laughs> and then I kind of dove into the world of, you know, email marketing and things like that. So I'm really glad that you said that to, you know, keep it clear, keep, keep it very yeah. clear and keep it to one clear call to action for email. I love that point that it's, that's really a good point to point out to people that don't come from marketing that a call to action isn't necessarily a purchase. And often for me, it's almost never a purchase. It's usually check something out, or I love the thing you said, reply to this email. That is like, I do that all the time in my marketing emails say, I read every email, like reply to this if you have any thoughts about what I said and people do. And then you start an actual conversation, which there's nothing more powerful than a relationship when it comes to marketing. So, um, you know, and emails that could be a reply to this on social media, um, something you want to do on social media when it comes to copy is just ask people to participate in any way. It could be put an emoji below. It could be, um, you know, vote on this poll that I have in my Instagram story. Anytime we can get people on social media to participate with us in some way, it's telling Instagram that people care about the content that we're putting into the world. Um, and it encourages them to show it to more people or show our content always to that person who engaged with us. So um, that's such a great point. A call to action. You should always have a call to action with pretty much every piece of content you put out there. Certainly every email, certainly everything on social media but it doesn't have to be a big thing. And in fact, the simpler the task, the more likely people will be to do it. Yes, absolutely. And another big misconception that I hear and mistake I personally see people making is exactly what you said. They use, they forget that social media is kind of like a, almost like a handshake, kind of like a first introduction. A lot of people just use it to push their products and they don't mm -hmm. necessarily use it to engage. So I love that you said, you know, the simpler the task, the easier it is to get them to do it. Because I, I love when people use social media for those really simple things and then kind of mm -hmm. lead them on to the next step instead of just saying, you know, here's product A, product B, product C. And like, that's all they talk right. about. So I love that you point that out. Some, sorry, I'm we're dragging this question out a lot. But one, <laughs> well, it's a good one. It's a good one. I think a lot of people, I get so many questions about this. Yeah. One thing that has been working so well for me on Instagram right now, just to the point of asking people to do really simple things, is if I have something, so recently I've had a couple of things that I want people to like click on a link that will take them out of Instagram. This is something people don't like to do. They When they're in the app, they want to stay in the app. They don't want to go to your website. They don't want to go download your freebie. Like they just want to stay where they are. Um, so one thing I've been asking people to do is I'll do an Instagram story and say, hi, um, I have this new Facebook group for small businesses who want to make an impact. If you want me to send, DM you the link, just click either of the things on the poll below. So some, instead of yes or no, I'll have like the sparkly emoji and like the leaf emoji. And I say, if you press either of them, I'm going to DM you the link. And then 
a ton of people do. And I go and DM each of them like, Hey, thank you so much. I'd love to have you in the group. Here's the link. And it's so easy for them. It's making it so, so, so easy for them that the, I mean, conversion rate is a really technical term, but the amount of people who actually follow through when, you know, they've already bought in a little bit, they've taken that super easy action of pressing something on a poll. Um, the amount, the results that I see when I do things like that are so much better than if I say, I have a link to my Facebook group. It's in the link in my bio. Go to the link in my bio. So because that's so many steps someone has to take. You're really taking out all the guesswork. And you're also opening up that conversation, like similar to replying to an email. Now that person's in mm-hmm. your inbox. So totally. I absolutely love that. And that's a, that's a really good tip. Instagram stories is something that I like know that I should be doing more of mm-hmm. that kind of thing, but I never do. So I'm so glad that you said you're getting good results with that right now. Um, Mm Because I feel like every single time I like learn what works for me, something changes and then I just give up. So I'm glad that you said that that's working for you. Try that. Let me know. (laughs) Yeah, I'm absolutely going to for sure. I have some free trainings coming up and that's how I'm going to get people to it. Instead of just doing the constant every single day, I'm always just like link in my bio, link in my bio. Um, so I you can do I, that too. Right. I but mean, I, th- yeah. but nobody ever clicks on it. I look <laughs> at it and like, cause I use, you know, I use specific links so I can see how many people are coming from where. And I'm, I'm great at getting people to convert from my email list and things like that, but Instagram, nothing. It's hard. So yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to put that to work. And I love how you talked about that very super simple call to action, but Let's get back to that email example that we were kind mm-hmm. of going through. So let's say somebody, you know, goes through that process. They, they wrote the email based on what they want people to know, feel, and do. Do you have any mm-hmm. tips for the revision process or how people can make sure that it's exactly what they want before they send it out? Mm-hmm. I do. Um, there's a few things I would say. And the most important one is to read it out loud. Um you might feel dumb, <laughs> but just do it. But if you do Read feel dumb, then that's a that's a red flag that you're not writing like a human. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, read it to your dog or your kid or yourself in the mirror. And if it sounds like something you would say, you're on the right track. But if it's not some, if when you read it and you're like, oh, I wouldn't talk that way to my friend or even a stranger at the grocery store, you probably want to tweak your language a little bit. And tweaking your language can be really easy, actually. It's as simple sometimes as just, um, okay, I used the word utilize. And utilize is kind of a stupid word that doesn't need to be used ever, basically. I'm going to need to. I know. I know. It's my corporate experience. I, I, that's one mm-hmm. of the reasons why I chose this topic, because it's something that I still struggle with. So I'm so glad that you did <laughs> that word in particular. Oh, man. Yeah. Utilize or advantageous or. Um, oh, man, there's so many of them. But just if there's a word that you could switch out with a simpler word, do it every time. Um, if if there are words that you can remove altogether and the meaning of whatever you wrote remains the same, do it. So a good example of that is um, because of the fact that the train was late, we're, our store is opening late today. Just say the train was late, so we're opening late. <laughs> or um, because the train was late, our hours have changed today. Um, another thing is using contractions. So. Something that humans do is speak with contractions. We say, 
we we can't instead of we cannot. We say, um, I've got instead of I have got. We say they are not instead of they aren't. Or sorry, so we say they aren't instead of they are not. So if you've got a lot of um, wording in there that could be shortened with contractions, always do that. And then a lot of times when we write, I think we do something that we learned in, in high school called padding, which is we want to make it longer because we think that things are better if they're longer. And I think this gets drilled into us when we have word counts or page counts that we're trying to hit. But um, actually with copy, the simpler and more concisely you can say it, the less of someone's time you can take for them to read it, the more likely it is that they're going to actually read it. And um, it's definitely going to be more effective for you. So there's a, uh, there's a phrase some some person in history said that is like, um, I would have written a shorter letter if only I'd had the time, which is making the point that it's actually pretty easy to write something long because you just kind of like spit it all out and it's all out there. But to write something short and concise and clean, it takes a little bit more effort and you know, it's, it is going to involve a revision of going through and saying, does this all need to be here? Or is there anything I could take out that would keep the meaning the same? Um, and every time you take it out, it's going to make it stronger. That's such a good point. I was actually, so we're, um, just to give people a little context, we're both doing Digital Course Academy right now. Mm-hmm. And somebody in that group said something that I actually wrote down. I don't do that a lot, but I wrote it down and they said, you know, what they found, I think they were somebody who's, you know, been through the program before and had success. He said, you know, when I work with people that create courses, it's not, you know, I'm finished when I can't add anything else. It's I'm finished when I can't remove anything else. And I think Hmm. that can relate to copy as well. You know, does like exactly what you said, does everything that's here have to be here? Could I get Mm -hmm. my message across in a shorter way? Could I get people a transformation in a more concise fashion? So I'm so glad that you brought that up because I actually wrote that down. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not over until, you know, I've removed everything that I can. So I think really especially with creating content, that's a really hard one because we just want to give everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know you have a program for um, brick and mortar business owners. Um, I offer a lot of goods or goods, products or cert, like um, just information and content to small business owners. And I always want to give everything like what's, what's everything I know about this topic, but that's actually overwhelming. We want to give people just what they need to take as little effort as possible and get the, the, the transformation or the result that they're looking for. So such a good point. Yeah, absolutely. And back to that, um, email thing, that monthly newsletter versus like the biweekly or, you know, uh, semi-weekly emails, what I used to do with my courses is I would create like 10 two-hour lessons and people were like, nope, their absorption rate was like <laughs> zero. And then I went to, you know, 10 modules with like two-minute lessons or like 10-minute lessons. And very similar to when you're sending out copy, you know, people like simple. They like to consume in bite-sized chunks. So I, mm-hmm. I love that kind of analogy too. It just goes to show you how many places in our businesses we make this mistake where we Mm -hmm. forget that, you know, people like stuff being broken down. So they don't want to absorb a monthly email with everything you have in it. They want that. So I just thought I'd bring that up. I know we kind of got off topic, but I just, it's so (laughs) true of, of everything. So I'm glad that we talked about it. Yeah, for sure. So something that a lot of people ask me 
And something that I'm always asking myself is, you know, how do we know that our copy isn't working or how do we know when we need a revamp? Because a lot of people think, you know, if it's not broken, you know, people aren't calling me and saying, I hate your monthly newsletter. Can you please break it out? You know, people think that if it's not broken, they don't have to fix it. So what are some signs that a small business owner might need to kind of revamp or tweak their copy? The first thing I would say is that, um, I think we're always getting to know our customers better. We're always tweaking what we're offering to better fit our our customers. So I think that copy, websites, social media bios, social media posts, um, any content we have really, I think it should be a process of continuous tweaking. Um, I don't think it should be like you create a website once and then two years later you do a, you know, $5,000, $10,000 re- revamp of it. I think it's really, you know, set a reminder in your calendar every few months to read back through everything. Maybe ask yourself some of the things we've talked about in this episode. Is it as clear as it could be? Are there extra words here? Am I using any jargon? Um, could I switch out any words to be simpler? Is And am I addressing my customer's needs as clearly and as directly as I possibly can? Um, I think doing this exercise every few months is a good idea. And if you're doing it every few months, you're never going to get to the point where, oh my gosh, I need to redo everything, put this all in the trash and start from scratch. Um, So that's the first thing I would say is that view it as something that's always evolving. Um, I would say there are also any time that you can get some data on how things are doing, take advantage of that. So Um, you know, you just mentioned earlier, if you have an Instagram bio link that you, you know, because you have a unique link that no one is clicking that that's some, that's a time to look at something, a different strategy. If you have emails that you see people are less and less often opening them, um, your open rates going way down, that's probably either something about your subject lines or about the content in your emails, um, most email tools have something called A-B testing, which is just gives you the option to send two versions of essentially the same email with a slight tweak. So the most common way that people use this is for subject lines. So I could say, um, you know, free webinar on Tuesday would be my subject line E and my subject line B might be, do you want to learn effective heartfelt copywriting? And it would send, it would send, Some people option A, some people option B, and then whichever one did better, it would send everyone else, it would send the the vast majority of your audience would get the one that performs better. So just testing things, looking at the numbers and how people respond. Um, Some people find that emojis work better in their subject lines. I mean, there's, I think it's just all this process of constant tweaking and constantly paying attention to how things are doing. Um, When it comes to websites, I think, White space is a good thing. Like don't try to fill it up with images and with with copy. I think it should be really clear what you do right away. So when someone comes to your website without scrolling, they should understand, okay, this is a podcast or this is a stationary company um, or this is a marketing consultant and this is how they can help me. Um, One thing you can do with websites in particular is ask yourself, what are all the different reasons someone might be coming to my website? And when they first land, are they gonna know where to go to find what they need? 
Um, you can do this yourself or you could give it to a friend and say, hey, um, here's my website. I just made some changes to it. Pretend you want to find my podcast episodes. Like, is that easy? Can you figure that out right away? And if it's not, maybe it's like a, you need like a start here button or um, some kind of like some directions that make it easier for people. So um, with websites, the simpler, the more obvious it is how to use it, the better. We don't want to confuse people. Um, and, you know, one thing that's so important, I know you're all about this, Michelle, is community. Asking someone in your community to take a look, say, hey, do you want to look at my website and I'll look at yours and we can see if we have any suggestions. Um, that's that's always, there's nothing better than a second set of eyes on something. So, Yeah, absolutely. And something that I struggle with, I'm very good at doing that. I am very, mm -hmm. I am a work in progress in terms of taking that advice. <laughs> <laughs> so like a lot of times I'll can someone a sales page or a website and I'll be like, Hey, can you give me your feedback? And then they'll give me feedback and I'll be, be like, well, it's this way because, and I have to constantly stop myself from doing that and say, mm -hmm. Hey, you know, I'm being, I'm too close to this. You know, right. there's a reason. So kind of being also very open as a business owner to that feedback and just realizing that we're biased as you know, mm -hmm. and um, something that I constantly have to work on and, what I see other people having to work on is that they are too close to their business. So I'm so glad that you said, you know, before somebody scrolls on your website, they should know exactly, you know, what you do and how to take the next step. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I work with a lot of indoor playground owners and a lot of people think, you know, oh, if they're coming to my website, they already know, you know, who we are and mm -hmm. what we do. But I made a simple tweak like a year into my business and right at the top of the page for our indoor playground, I said, you know, we are a small imaginative play space for zero to five-year-olds to come and play with their caregivers. And it immediately, Love. it immediately like attracted who I wanted to. So people that are interested in imaginative play. So immediately if people were looking for like a trampoline park or like a huge, you know, uh, multiplex type experience, they were like, mm -hmm. not this, this is not for me, but people who were mm -hmm. like, oh yes, I want a small space. I have a zero to five-year-old, you know, I like imaginative play. I don't want my kid to, you know, play on the arcade games or be around a bunch of screens or electronics. So I made that one simple change and the, mm -hmm. uh, the amount of actions that people took from my website, I was actually scared to do that funny enough because I was mm -hmm. like, Oh, well, I want to, I want to be everything to everyone. I, I don't want to push anyone away. I want to make it seem like, you know, um, yeah. you know, we could fit everyone, but it, it, we really couldn't, you know, that was the fact. So once I made that one simple change, our, people started spending more time on our website. People were actually calling us. People were signing up for mm -hmm. our, you know, lead magnets more. Our website actually started converting a lot better. And so we didn't practice this or anything, but I'm so glad that you said yeah. your website should be a living thing. Your copy should be living documents. They should always be in continuous improvement. And I know we as small business owners are so busy and we have so many things on our plate that this is so easy to push on the back burner, but mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've sent somebody to a website and not really thought about it. And then I'll go back and I'll look at it and I'll be like, oh, I don't really do that anymore. I don't really, <laughs> like, this is outdated. Like yeah. I've actually niched down since I wrote this. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Just put a task on your calendar and don't push it off. Don't, you know, reschedule it for next week. This is, copy is so underestimated in a business. So mm -hmm. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. 
should be under constant review and you should always be utilizing an- any analytics that you have at your disposal to continue mm-hmm. to get better. You know, when we're, when we are revamping something or when we're reworking something, it can often feel unproductive, but I'm so glad that you mentioned that those simple little tweaks could yield huge results. Mm-hmm. 100%. So just to kind of Last question that I really wanted to ask, because this is one that I get asked all the time, and that Mm -hmm. is if you are a company, so let's say we're an indoor playground, but it's not just me working there. I have a whole team and I'm not actually even there. So let's put yourself in that position. A lot of people are worried to kind of talk in first person or they're not sure how they should be communicating because they are a company or maybe they're a brand. So when you have somebody that you're writing copy for or you're coaching, what advice do you have for them between choosing, kind of finding their voice with their customers? Yeah, this is one thing that there's definitely not a right answer for. Um, one thing I would say is that if you do have a team, if you are a brick and mortar, let's say, who there's different people who work there, who interact with the people who come in, um, or if you even if you don't have a brick and mortar location, but maybe your customer service operation has different people I would always use we in that case. If it's really not just you, um, to me, there's no reason not to say we. I think if you maybe occasionally write a social media post that is really personal, it's about, um, you know, something that happened to you or something, a story from your personal life, like while you're sitting at breakfast with your kids, I think it's okay. I mean, this is kind of like a no-no of copywriting, but I, I think it's okay to occasionally break form with that and say, you know, you could say, this is Lauren. And I just want to tell you something that happened this morning, or you, I don't think you even have to do that. I think if you're telling something really personal, that's obviously not a we story. That's a, I not, we were sitting at my kitchen table. That's I was. Um, but I think in, in broader copy, when you're talking about what you believe in, what you stand for, Um, what you offer in general. I think we, if you have uh, multiple members of your team. um, So for example, I have the brick and mortar store, Station 7. I have a staff there and I always say we, unless I'm talking about something that's just personal to me. Um, In comparison, my stationary line, it's mostly just me. I have a little bit of part-time help sometimes. But usually it's me filling the orders. It's me that designs everything. It's me interacting with people. Um, So I almost always with that say I. It's also um, more of a personal brand in that I share a lot of really personal details online about, you know, mental health and about my life. And um, that just, it's, it feels like me there. So I I almost always say I, I would say. I think in a single piece of copy, you don't want to switch back and forth between we and I, but I'm not sure you have to feel like you have a strong rule that applies to 100% of everything across the board. Um, You know, a lot of times you'll just find yourself saying something and that's probably the right thing to say. If that's what's coming naturally, if you're really writing from your heart and the word that comes out is we, you're probably talking about you and the other people who are like behind your company. Um, If it's I, because it's something you believe in, maybe that's I, but there's definitely not a clear cut answer to this. And I even think, like I said, that um, you don't have to stick with one 100% of the time. There might be occasions for each, each style. 
Yeah, it's funny. When I first started my indoor playground, it was always I because I was a founder and I it was my baby and I spent so long mm-hmm. creating it. And I was like, you know, I just hired my staff. Like, I'm not going to include them in this week. But it's so funny because every single time somebody visited my business, they expected to see me. So there was almost mm-hmm. like that disconnect. So I was right. kind of setting expectations up in a weird way. So whenever somebody booked a birthday or whenever somebody came in, they were like, where's Michelle? Where's Michelle? So mm-hmm. I definitely did what you suggested. And I mainly used we when I was you know, doing my main copywriting. But if I wanted to jump in, I used I, and then I would just sign it like Michelle or something or owner, you know? Um, yeah. It, and I, so I love how you brought that up that for your stationary business, you use we, because there is a team there and you do have a staff. So it sets people's expectation. But then mm-hmm. on your more you know personal businesses, it's you because that's who people interact with and that's who people have to bond with. So like for my you know coaching business and things, I always use I because I want people to know, like, and trust and buy from me. So right. I'm, that's a great, great clarification. And one marriage between those two is, um, for example, when I sign my emails from the we organization I have, so the store is called Station 7, I sign my emails, Lauren and the Station 7 team. So it is me, like I, I'm always putting some of me into it, but I'm acknowledging that, you know, you're probably not going to see me when you come into the store. Um, a lot of the people who work there have much stronger relationships with the people who are regulars than I do because they're there more. So um, yeah, there's ways to, there are ways to bridge it. And I think it's totally flexible. Awesome. Yeah. So just to kind of wrap this up, are there any kind of words of advice that you want to leave people with or anything you kind of want to wrap this up with? Like if you say one one thing to give people (laughs) one tip about copywriting, other than, you know, talking like a human, is there one thing that you kind of want to leave people with one, one big takeaway? Um, I would say, let me give you two. One of them I've like really, um, said over and over again already, but make it simple, make it clear, make it easy to read, easy to understand. And the second one that I think we can overlook is to be really clear what your goal is with everything that you write. So, you know, yes, what is the call to action? What do you want something to do? But what is this piece of copy, this piece of writing doing for you? What is the point of it? Um, always start with that in the front of your mind, even write it down the top of your paper. You can delete it later if you want to, but, um, I think it's easy to just kind of bang things out because we're busy, but the more thoughtful and intentional you can be about what you write and, um, what you want it to achieve for you, the more likely it's going to do, be able to do that. So, um, have a goal. I would say it's probably my number one. Awesome. So beast, keep it simple, have a goal two biggest. I love that. I love that. So I'm going to link your website and all of your social media in the show notes, but, um, where is the best place for people to kind of reach out to you and find more about you? Yeah. So if you're interested in copywriting and business advice and tips, I think probably connect with me on the podcast platform is the best place. So my podcast is called making good. It's on all the major platforms. And then, um, my main sort of social presence for it is on Instagram at making good podcast. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Michelle. Super fun. All right. So that does it for this episode and my interview with Lauren. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And I want to encourage you to really keep her two big points in mind. Keep it simple when it comes to copywriting and always have a goal in mind. 
And if I personally could have you take one important thing away from this episode, it's that whether it be your emails, even if it's an automated sequence or your website or your sales letters or your brochures and pamphlets, everything should be a living, breathing document in your business. You should constantly be updating it and tending to it and making any adjustments or tweaks or improvements as needed. That is so important. And it's something that I and most business owners often forget to do or slide over to the back burner. All right, I will see you guys next week with another episode. If you like this show and this content, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. It helps so much to spread the word about the podcast, help other busy business owners, and get the absolute best guests on the show for you. All right, I will see you guys next week. Have a good one. 